following message is from the 2023 Leaders Summit in Louisville, Kentucky. For more information on Harbor Network, please visit www.harbornetwork.com. If you have a Bible, turn with me, please, to John chapter 13. And we'll look at verses 34 and 35. As you're turning there, you say a word of appreciation to Pastor D. I'm surprised that by that intro, I didn't know you were doing that. Thank you. I love you so much as a brother. It's another special uh, word of thanks to Mr. Executive Director Dave Owens and to Mr. President Jamal Williams for your gracious invitation to be one of this year's speakers. On a personal note, I love Dave and Jamal and Pastor Timothy and the elders I serve with here at Midtown as we are working together with God's help to build a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. It's one of the great joys of my life. Let's hear the word of God and pray and ask God to help us. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Hear the word of God. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful that you so loved the world, that you gave your only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And Father, we pray that tonight, through the preaching of your word, that the message of your love for us and your imperative for us to love one another would permeate throughout this body. Father, these people, your people, come hungry tonight, and I confess I am weak, but I pray that you would manifest your glory with power through my weakness. Help me to lift my voice and preach and allow the devil and the demons to see enough of what happens in this moment to shame them and make them tremble with fear through the preaching of your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite hymns that I learned early in my faith had these lyrics. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. I love songs and movies about love. I must confess I know nothing about music but one of my favorite musicians is John Coltrane. 
I love His peace. Love supreme. I love it when you come to the end of the piece and out of nowhere you hear His voice slowly begin to repeat these words. A love supreme. 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 I love that song. I also love Whitney Houston. Her singing. My wife is on the front row. The greatest vocalist of all time, next to our sister, Sean Treese. Sean Treese is the best. But one of her iconic songs, the greatest love of all, I love that song, is happening to me. Or years later when she starred in my favorite Christmas movie of all time, The Preacher's Wife. Not Die Hard. It's not a Christmas movie. The Preacher's Wife, in which she's saying, I love the Lord. He heard my cry. I also love great love stories, both on the movies and in real life. For those of us who grew up in the 80s and 90s, there were Harriet and Carl Winslow, Family Matters. What a love story. It's also Whitney, Whitley Gilbert and Dwayne Wayne. It's a different world. Recently, there's Randall and Beth Pearson on This Is Us. By the way, I'm still angry at Randall about how he treated Beth. It's always about Randall, never about Beth. But I'm sorry, I, I digress. A love story. In real life, also love stories. There's Barack and Michelle. There's Jarvis and Anna. And there's Pastor Jamal and Miss Amber. Great love stories. In my view, some of the country's greatest examples of love are those image bearers in the civil rights movement who risked their lives for the civil rights of African Americans who suffered racial discrimination. One of my favorite heroes is Ida B. Wells Barnett. Miss Wells Barnett was born into slavery. She eventually received her freedom. She became an accomplished journalist, and she used her skills as such to work for the equality of African Americans. She documented in detail the horrors of the lynching of blacks because she loved her fellow human being. She was named by some the anti-lynching crusader. Her impact on exposing the abomination of lynching laws was so well known that even the great Frederick Douglass himself wrote Miss Barnett, and he thanked her for her work, declaring that her work, her arguments against lynching made his argument seem feeble. She sacrificially loved even though she suffered great personal loss because of her commitment to love. Finally, there are those who join the military knowing that they very well may be called upon to sacrifice their life because of their love for country. Think of, for example, Pat Tillman, who played in the NFL for the Arizona Cardinals 
After the terrorist attack of 9-11, Mr. Tillman left the NFL and enlisted in the Army in May 2002. He served in Iraq and Afghanistan. Sources say he lost his life to friendly gunfire. He enlisted to serve. Why? Because of his sacrificial love for his country. When John 13, we see the greatest example of love in our Lord Jesus Christ, who illustrates for us by washing his disciples' feet that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Jesus teaches us that love is a sacrificial action modeled after the Father's love and modeled after the Son's love for us. So that's my word to us tonight. Let's love one another. Y'all still with me? Two truths. Number one, Jesus gives us a new commandment to love. First, notice in verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, in one sense, this commandment is not new. Since Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 says, love your neighbor as yourself. But in another sense, it is new. Because Jesus commands us to love one another with the kind of love that's modeled after his selfless, sacrificial love for us, that he demonstrated for us in the humiliating death of crucifixion. This kind of love is exactly the event to which the foot washing points. It's a very scandalous story in John 13. After Jesus, the pre-existent Son of God, takes off his outer garment, he began the humiliating act as a rabbi of washing his students' feet to emphasize that he is about to suffer a shameful and yet victorious death for their sins. In addition to dying as our substitute, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus is also leaving for us an example to follow as to how to love one another. Namely, he says, did you catch it? We must love one another in a selfless, sacrificial way. This is why he says in verses 15 and 16 that he has given us an example to follow as the master rabbi, since the slaves are not greater than their master. In this analogy, Jesus is the master, and we, his disciples, are the slaves. If the master is willing to humiliate himself, to wash their dirty, smelly feet, how much more should we wash one another's feet by loving one another in a selfless, sacrificial way? If the Son of God is willing to Wash the feet of his students. How much more should we humble ourselves 
and love one another. Furthermore, notice in the text that Jesus tells us exactly the way we should love one another. In verse 34, he says, are you ready for this? Love one another just as he loves us. You notice that just as there? Don't gloss over those words. I would be scared if he said love one another as another human being loves you. But I wouldn't be shocked. The standard of love for the people of God is not your fellow brother or sister. It is Jesus Christ himself who came from heaven to earth to absorb the wrath of God on the cross for our sins. And he does not recommend to us, he commands us. It is an imperative, right? To love one another as he loved us. Do we love each other like that? Do we love the people we shepherd like that? Do we love the people we lead like that? Willing to lay down our lives, both metaphorically and literally, for our brothers and sisters in Jesus. This is a foundation to building a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. John says it this way. In John 15, verses 12 through 17, Jesus says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you like me on social media. Is that what it says? You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Brothers and sisters, if we want to be part of building a multi-ethnic kingdom culture, we must first love one another as Christ loved us. Second point. In verse 35, Jesus says, if we love one another by following his example of selfless sacrificial action, then we prove to the world that we are his disciples. Notice verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is one of the many striking verses in John's gospel. What's shocking to me is what Jesus does not say. He does not say love for fellow disciples can be seen by means of your seminary degrees. I'm all for seminary degrees. That's not what he says. 
He does not say love for your fellow brothers and sisters can be seen by means of the books we write, the platforms we have, the brands that we build, our church budgets, our popularity, the size of our churches, our influence, our ability to strategize, our ability to grind. Our ability to quote Pastor Jamal, as he said in his, in his talk, to make it happen. Our ability to preach or lead or our gifts he doesn't say that. He says our love for fellow followers of Christ proves to the world that we too are Jesus' disciples. If our love for one another proves to the world that we belong to Jesus, then our lack of love for one another proves that we do not belong to Jesus. Can I get one witness tonight? If we attack each other, hate each other, lie on each other, slander each other, try to destroy each other because we may disagree with one another or misunderstand one another, these things only prove that maybe we do not belong to Jesus. Because those of us who belong to Jesus love the people for whom Jesus died. Love is a sacrificial action modeled after Jesus' selfless, sacrificial love for us. Love is not, and hear this, Love is not us operating as theological snipers seeking to take out a hit on anybody with whom we disagree amongst the people of God. That's not love. That's hate. Ten short applications. One. I got 16 minutes, and I'm going to use each one and no more. If we want to pursue and to lead our people to pursue a multi-ethnic kingdom culture, we must love one another, and our love for one another must, one, drive us to pray for one another, as Jesus prayed in John 17. We must pray for God to do it. Pray for one another will help us to keep the focus on God's saving work in Christ. To redeem some from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. To build a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. It will help us keep the focus on the transformational power of the Spirit. Just read John 13, 14. 15 and 16. Second, be humble. Now look, I'm never writing a book on humility because I struggle with pride. But I got to say something about humility because Jesus illustrates for us humility in John 13, doesn't he? A definition of humility is not a passive personality. 
There are arrogant people who have passive personalities. And by the way, false humility is another form of arrogance, isn't it? A definition of humility from the New Testament, I think, is living in submission to God in a selfless, sacrificial love for one another that is modeled after Jesus' love for us. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to exploit for his own advantage. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of humanity, and being found in appearance as a human being. He humbled himself to the point of obedience, even obedience to death on the cross. And God raised him up on the day of resurrection. (laughs) Flee from arrogance. Arrogance will destroy our souls and keep us from pursuing a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. Third, walk in biblical wisdom. Walk in the fear of the Lord. Pursue this work to please God, not to gain favor with men, not to build a platform, not to get a book deal, not to make a name for yourselves. If we walk in wisdom and in pursuit of God, this will help us avoid, hear this, self-inflicted wounds. Fourth, forgiveness. Practice forgiveness. When people hurt you because of your commitment to building a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. And be quick to ask for forgiveness when you hurt people. One way you can practice forgiveness is pray for your enemies. Pray for those who may have caused you harm or who will cause you harm in the work of pursuing a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. The question, brothers and sisters, is not if we will hurt someone in this work or if someone will hurt us in this work. The question is when. Some of y'all here tonight, some of us here tonight have been deeply wounded because of our commitment to a multi-ethnic kingdom vision. And we're still hurting. And maybe we're angry. I promise you, if you don't heal and if you don't deal with that hurt, And if you don't forgive those who hurt you, and if you don't pray for those who hurt you, you will never be free. I want freedom to pursue the work of building a multi-ethnic kingdom culture in a healthy way. Instead, you may blow up your work or the work of others before it even gets off the ground. Practice forgiveness. One of the hardest things and one of the most liberating things for me is to pray for those who want to destroy me because I'm committed to this work. Five, see all humans as created in the image of God and do not reduce them to the color of their skin. Humans are more than our skin colors, aren't we? To love one another well in pursuit of building a multi-ethnic kingdom culture, we must learn in Christ to embrace our new and transformed identities without seeking to erase our ethnic identities 
and without reducing our fellow image bearers to something as unreal and fictive as arbitrary racial categories imposed on us as image bearers. Now hear this, I am a proud African-American man. I thank God for my African-American heritage. My point is not ignore my African-Americanness. My point is, is that part of my story is being an African-American, and another part of that story is being a transformed African-American in Christ. So I was a black man before I got saved, and I'm a black man now that I am saved. I'm just a new kind of black man in Christ, a new kind of African-American in Christ. Six, Christ-centered. Worship Christ, not ethnic diversity. Do not make multi-ethnic ministry an idol. God destroys idols. Seven. Pursue a multi-ethnic kingdom culture out of love for Christ and for your neighbors as yourself. Because Jesus died for some from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. Hear this. Don't pursue it out of white guilt. White guilt will only lead you, white brothers and sisters, to despair. Because it's not redemptive. Eight. Don't treat ethnic minorities as victims or as infants. Or as a prize for your congregations in the name of building a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. Or in the name of justice. Don't window dress our churches with black, brown, or white bodies. Just to feel good about ourselves. Jesus didn't die for me to feel good about myself. He died to do something supernatural. I want to feel good about myself, but I can do that and not be leaning into the vision for which he died. The entire creation is enslaved to and oppressed by the power of sin. And there are real victims who are victims for no fault of their own. So we love to alleviate the victim from their suffering as much as we can do so in our fallen world, right? We, we want to liberate the victim from his or her suffering. But my point is the victim can be redeemed in Christ and be seen as a victor in Christ and help through their victim reality into a transformed reality in Jesus. It's striking to me. The book of Revelation never identifies the suffering people of God as victims, but as victors in Christ, as those who have conquered because they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb who has conquered the Roman Empire. While they were oppressed, they're identified as those who are reigning on Mount Zion, Revelation 7, Revelation 14, with King Jesus. who promises to bring about their justice on earth. So Christians stand with Christ in Revelation, reigning with Christ as victors. Don't treat me as a victim just because of my beautiful African-American skin. I'm a victor, I'm a victor in Jesus, who does, by the way, suffer racism constantly most of which comes from believers or those who profess to know Jesus. 
Nine, don't dehumanize people in the name of multi-ethnic ministry of justice. Black and brown brothers and sisters and Asian brothers and sisters and brothers and sisters who would be categorized as ethnic minorities tonight, don't dehumanize your white brothers and sisters in Christ. See them as image bearers who can't carry the burden of exonerating the world for the sins of their ancestors. Yes, I understand racialized realities. But my point is, is that we are individuals as well, not just people part of a group, right? So it's hypocritical for those of us who are black and brown and Asian and ethnic minorities to hold white brothers and sisters to one standard and another standard for ourselves. Now look, I recognize white brothers and sisters have a greater burden to bear in one sense because of our racialized history. We don't have equal responsibility, but we have mutual responsibility. But my point is, is that I need to love my brothers and sisters in Christ who are white, and white is also a diverse category. It's also a racialized category. Ten. Is this ten? It's ten. If I skip one, we can talk after the service. Ten. Count the cost. Is it worth it to you? Count the cost before you commit yourselves, your ministries, your families, your church budgets to building a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. If you deem the cost too much or too painful, then don't do it. Do not commit your ministries or your lives to building a multi-ethnic kingdom culture in church as it is in heaven. If the trade-off is too much. But if you count the cost and you deem it worth it, pursue every tongue and tribe and people and nation with the power of the gospel and the power of the spirit. But be warned. May I give you a warning before I sit down? Be warned. You will lose some capital if you pursue this. You will lose friendships. You will lose status. You will be slandered. You will lose your reputation and never get it back. You will take hits. And people will try to destroy your ministries and your career if you do this. And if you're black... You'll be labeled an Uncle Tom by some and apostate by others. That those who have ears to hear, hear. To which I say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but I will never let a racist change my view on what God has done for Jesus, in Jesus, for the world, in Christ. People will try to take your mental health as a result of this work. So if you can't handle it and you can't by yourself, then don't do it. Count the cost because the cost is great. But if you want to count the cost and pursue it, Let's join hands together and suffer together for Jesus until he comes back. 
And let's shame the devil and all of his demons in the power of the gospel. In closing, in their book, In Church As It Is in Heaven, our brothers Jamal and Timothy say the following, quote, Only the Word of God and the Spirit of God are sufficient to provide the people of God with lasting solutions as we make our way toward a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. I want to restate their words in the following way by inserting the term love. Only the Word of God and the Spirit of God are sufficient to provide the people of God with lasting solutions to love one another as we make our way toward a multi-ethnic kingdom culture. Amen. Let's pray.